region's huge growth potential and businesses that are also people plus planet friendly. Through this mini-series, we'll bring you the insider's view by featuring the unique perspectives of those who are actively building a bridge between impact investing, sustainability, and profit across Southeast Asia. I'm Karina Basraywan of Climate Starts With C, and today we are coming to you from Singapore, where we'll be exploring how finance and climate correlate in the space from a legal perspective. Joining us today to talk more about it is Sean Sung, a legal consultant with Client Earth and part of the energy systems of the Asia team. His work focuses on the use of corporate and financial laws to enable and promote climate action within the private and public sectors in Asia. This involves working with governments, companies, and investors to embed the consideration of the climate into business and investment decision-making. In this capacity, Sean has worked with internationally recognized organizations such as Asia Investor Group on Climate Change, CDP, Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, Oxford Sustainable Finance Group, and the UK's Transition Plan Task Force. Sean is also an adjunct assistant professor at the National University of Singapore, Faculty of Law, where he convenes the Environmental Law Course. He is also an academic fellow with the Asia-Pacific Center for Environmental Law at NUS. Sean has released several award-winning essays and has undertaken research projects for the United Nations Environment Programme. Sean graduated from the National University of Singapore with a Bachelor of Laws degree and was admitted to the Singapore Bar. He also holds a Master's of Law in the Environmental Law and Policy from the University College London with distinction, where he graduated at the top of his class. So let's get right to it with this remarkable man himself. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. Now, all right, jumping straight into it. Carbon credits, greenwashing, blended finance. That's a lot of buzzwords and new opportunities, per se, in the market. Now, with your background from your legal perspective, how would you break it down to define all of this for like, a newbie trying to understand what's going on here and just understand the market as a whole? Thanks, Karina. So I think the first thing that I will set out for us is to provide a basic premise, which is really the factual reality that we're in. The point of the matter is, is that we're running out of the carbon budget, right, to stay within 1.5 degrees. In fact, this morning, we just had the news come in that our carbon budget is likely to be uh, likely to run out within mm -hmm. the next five years. Wow. And that's obviously deeply uh, concerning. And it's not that, you know, in about five years time, we will hit a 1.5 degree world. Mm -hmm. But basically, the amount of emissions that are needed to be emitted into the air to yeah. lock us in into that pathway right. would be emitted by then. So we do need bold action. We need ambitious action. And we cannot, we no longer can rely mm. on the traditional levers uh, that we have tended to rely on to tackle climate change. Right. right? we can no longer look at the type of regulation that we have been relying on. We can no longer see governments mm -hmm. as the singular source or even the main source for climate action. Right. What we do need is the turn towards corporations, uh, the turn towards the financial markets, mm -hmm. right? What are their points of leverage for climate action? Mm -hmm. um, how are they uniquely positioned to provide the solutions that we desperately need. Right. So when we think about all these different buzzwords, those have all been 
they've come up into prominence because of this turn towards corporations and the financial markets for solutions. Mm. When we think about carbon credits, yeah. uh, that's the attempt to use um, financial mechanisms and incentives to de decarbonize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When we think about blended finance, mm -hmm. we're really looking at the ways in which both the public finance as well as private finance can come together to try and create solutions that no one singular source of finance would be able to provide. Right. And greenwashing is a byproduct of mm. all of this pressure on the corporate sector yep. to decarbonize, right? And some are, are obviously doing it uh, genuinely. They're taking the mm -hmm. pains to to undertake steps to, to decarbonize and others are not and others are just portraying the image yes, that they are. Yes, for sure. Right. Yeah. So that would be how I would start. Right. Yes. No, that, that was very um, articulate. Thank you for that, Sean. Now, you know, I feel like there is um, every industry, I think, can contribute to, to what we see as climate change now, right? Everyone has their own role. And I think what um, people don't really think about or is rather at the back of their heads is, is from the legal perspective. And now with, with that being said, what kind of um, questions have you been hearing when it comes to the intersection of climate action and sustainable finance? What do you think are the important things people should be asking? when focusing on this. Right. So to provide a little bit of context, which I think flows from, from the earlier set of, of answers and responses, is that financial flows are still not where they need to be Right. in order for us to achieve 1.5 degrees in, in order to achieve uh, the net zero economy that we need to achieve by 2050. Mm -hmm. There are several questions that I've been hearing that, that are issues which are right for discussion, especially in the context of Asia, especially in the context of Southeast Asia. The first one is about transition finance, mm -hmm. right? Transition finance is going to become an increasingly important facet of sustainable finance. Right. Really, how are we actually financing high-emitting sectors and high-emitting assets to then transition right. towards a low-carbon or renewable future, mm -hmm. right? One of the key issues that we have in Asia is the role that coal plays, mm. right? Asia represents half yes. of global coal power, right. right? In order to achieve the net zero ambitions that we want to achieve, Southeast Asia must retire coal-fired power plants in the amount of about 5.5 gigawatts of coal power a year, right? That's a massive amount of coal power that it needs to transition away from. Yeah. So the challenge then is, how do we utilize finance to actually decarbonize coal assets mm. or retire coal assets? Those are not easy questions that we yes. have to grapple with. Um, they are things which the likes of GFANS, RMI, uh, Rockefeller Foundation are all trying to dedicate resources towards. Towards this. But it's not easy because transition finance is something, especially in the context of, of trying to retire coal fire power plants, requires a lot of finance, right? right? And you are basically taking an asset which is normally profit-making and saying because of policy changes, because of the need to achieve a 1.5 degree, basically external factors, you are basically trying to tell these assets or these asset owners that you need to let go of this asset and you need to build renewable energy in its place. Mm -hmm which is one of the unique things about the energy transition that we are going through today, because every single energy transition that has happened in human history has happened because of the economic analysis of that particular power source. 
It's been driven by the economic analysis, whereas right. this energy transition is the only one that is going to be driven by policy. Yeah. So we need the right policy frameworks in place. We need the right legal mechanisms in place. We need to ensure that we do not end up with a situation where these coal plants are being seemingly retired with finance. But then what then happens is because the policy frameworks are not good enough, another coal plant could appear in its yeah, place yeah. somewhere there's, else. There's ways to overlap exactly. and find another way in it. Yeah. And so that is trying to deal with carbon leakage. Uh, we also need to deal with the issues of moral yeah. hazard. Um, all of these issues need to be squarely dealt with in order to prevent transition washing. And on a related note, we need to ensure that the banks are incentivized, right? Yeah. The financiers are incentivized to provide the finance to retire these coal plants mm -hmm. early. And a lot of reluctance is actually being witnessed in the markets now because Yeah, banks, why do you think that is? Banks are, well, obviously some of these um, transactions, no one has quite, I suppose, seen the viability of mm. it, right? Yeah. Um, it's difficult. There's not enough finance. And banks themselves are reluctant because they are all trying to undergo internal uh, policies to ensure that they lower the finance emissions. Right. The tricky thing about providing finance to retire coal plants is that you are ultimately still providing finance mm -hmm. to a coal plant. Yeah. And therefore, in the immediate term, your finance emissions immediately see a spike, right? And you are then seen as financing the coal industry mm. or financing the fossil fuel yeah. industry. What, whereas actually there is a nuance to that, which is you're financing it only with the strict purpose mm -hmm. of retiring that asset earlier than it would have otherwise been. Yeah. So those are the, 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 the difficult issues that we're grappling with uh, in relation to transition finance. Slowly but surely. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sean, I feel like a lot of countries, especially within Southeast Asia, have seen Singapore as like its leader, right, on, on a lot of scale now. Singapore's uh, government has been very vocal, as you've also briefly mentioned, on pushing sustainability across all realms of businesses. It's uh, ha beginning to be top priority. And um, we can see that happening continuously every day now. Why has it suddenly become a hot topic? And do you feel, with all eyes on Singapore as sort of the benchmark for it, do you feel the greater Southeast Asian region is, is also ready to follow? I know each case for each country is, is different but do you think the region needs more policy reform or regulatory measures for this specific space right so so let me start with with your first question to my mind i do think there are a couple of reasons why there has been such a strong agenda within singapore yep. for sustainability the first reason is really that singapore is ultimately a small island state yes right and to boot it's along the equator yes okay? So the vulnerability that Singapore will face to the physical impacts of climate change are mm. quite stark. Sorry, and, and, and I just found this out recently, even though this has been known for some time, right. that Singapore actually is warming up twice as fast as the rest of the world on average. I right. can feel that. You can feel that, yes. So can I. And it's every Singaporean, uh, very, very warm. <laughs> it is. It is very warm. And and a, a lot of that has to do with, with the um, urban heat effect, yeah. heat island effect. So um, we realize, I think, uh, especially um, those at the top, that climate change is an exist existential crisis for us. Yeah. The second reason is that the Singapore, Singapore government has always been forward-looking yes right it has that has ultimately become always 10 steps ahead yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at least it tries to be right um and i think that's born out of um necessity right we were thrust into being an independent nation at, at, right. in the 1960s and it's almost become a central ethos for us to be forward-looking 
uh, not only to thrive as a nation, but to survive. Right. Survival mode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the biggest threat that we face, that humanity faces, that the country faces, no less, is climate change. Mm. Right. Now, we're not a major contributor of CO2 emissions yeah. on a global scale, but potentially we are a valuable contributor of climate solutions. Yes. Right. So not only in terms of technological innovation, but also in terms of the fact that Singapore is a key financial centre within the ASEAN region, mm. uh, within Asia, right? And therefore, will, I think, potentially provide a very valuable reference point for forward-looking regulation. Right. And you can see that in the way that they have implemented guidelines on environmental risk management, right? Uh, the MES okay. has really taken the lead in yeah. this area in, in, in a very big way, in a very impressive way. And several years ago, they released guidelines on environmental risk management. Just about a week or two ago, yeah. they released guidelines or at least proposed guidelines that will be subject to consultation over the next two months on transition planning. Mm-hmm. Right? Transition planning is one step beyond simple corporate climate disclosure yeah. because transition plans essentially require you to actually not only measure your impact, right? businesses' impacts or financial sectors' impact on climate change and in the environment, but also to to look at the company and ask them, what are you actually going to do about those impacts? Mm -hmm. And one that is sustainable too. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so it always has been progressive um, in its its regulations. And on to your following questions as to the greater Southeast Asian region Mm -hmm. um, ready to follow and all of that. As you mentioned, right, Southeast Asia is an extremely diverse region. Each of the countries is unique in its Mm -hmm. own um, geopolitical context, its challenges, its opportunities Mm -hmm. as well, right? Um, So perhaps, you know, following is not the right word, but certainly Singapore, I think, can provide that reference point for ambition, right? So that Guidebook. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. Yeah, um, guidebook. And in some ways to to even just be that source of of inspiration for for the verve, know how to actually, uh, that's needed for us to decarbonize. Right. Yeah, I feel like, you know, as Singapore is also a hub, sorry, right, for all these Southeast Asia countries and to come together and exchange and contribute into ideas. Because although, yes, they do have their own problems and challenges individually, I think at the end also, the Southeast Asian region as a region be working together to find these solutions that not only help their countries respectively, but also one as as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point to make because in the context of, of Southeast Asia, we need to collectively decarbonize. Yeah. It can't just be Singapore on its own. It can't just be Indonesia on its own. You know, at the end of the day, although we have our own policies, our own challenges that we have to uh, provide solutions to, it's also cross working with each other that provides a bigger solution. Absolutely. And even from the Singaporean perspective, Mm Singapore simply cannot decarbonize unless Southeast Asia decarbonizes. Right. Right. Because our source of energy, we would not have yes. the ability and capability to build enough renewable energy right. to support the entire population. Yeah. Right. Which is why we're inking deals mm-hmm. with, with Southeast Asian countries to import renewable yeah. energy eventually. And that just demonstrates right. the interdependency that we have with the region. Yes. Very true. 
Now, with that being said, Sean, I feel like, um, you know, everyone sort of also turned their eyes on impact investing and then hopping on that wagon. And uh, while most investors, I feel like, are still also thinking of ways on how we can create impact, but still generate profit at the same time. And although, you know, arguably some say they can't go hand in hand, some say it can go well together. From a legal standpoint... What do you think investors should also be considering when sort of going for this approach? Right. That's a good question. Now, there are about, I would say, three points to raise Mm -hmm. about what we need to think about from a legal perspective. Yeah. The first is exploring this thing called fiduciary duties. Mm-hmm. Right under the law, um, and surprisingly, uh, with a surprising amount of consistency mm-hmm. throughout Southeast Asia, throughout Asia, the fiduciary duties of an investor tend to be more or less similar. Yeah. Right. Despite the fact that each country has its own laws, it tends to coalesce around two duties. One is the duty of loyalty, yes. which is the duty to act in the best interest mm-hmm. of your well, of your clients that you're handling money for. Mm-hmm. And the other is to exercise this duty of competence, right? Duty of care, skill, diligence, and whatnot. Um, these duties, uh, especially in the context of today, where climate change is no longer just a tree-hugging issue, right? but presenting very material financial risk. Yes. This is where you see the nexus between mm. fiduciary duty as well as climate change. Yeah. Essentially, that investors now need to think about in the discharge of their fiduciary duties that they owe to their clients Mm -hmm. to actually think about what is the risk that climate change is going to pose to portfolios, right? Freshfields released a report back in 2005, and there was an update back uh, several years ago about fiduciary duty in the 21st century. And these reports talk about the fact that ESG issues are no longer just um, things that you can consider. Yeah. Right, because there was a debate, uh, you know, over the last several decades, whether investors can look into ESG-related issues, right. and or should they just be concerned about financial return? Yeah. The point of the matter is, financial return and thinking about ESG issues are completely interrelated. Yeah. Right. So much so that not only are they allowed to take into account ESG-related issues, but they should. Mm. Right. So that they can. Yeah. Discharge their fiduciary duties competently. Competently, exactly. Yeah. So that's the first point. The second point is really about the evolving compliance landscape regarding disclosure requirements. Mm. I think that's a tricky bit. It is. Yeah. It is because every single country is going to have slightly yeah. different laws, but there is a trajectory towards better disclosure, right. comparable disclosure. All these factors are actually becoming in the mainstream. Mm. Right, And as I mentioned, it's slowly moving away from simple disclosure about materiality of impact to your company, to your business, towards one where you are actually going to regularize or require companies to actually undertake action Mm. through a transition plan, which is the most exciting development to my mind in the regulatory landscape. That excites you. That excites me, (laughs) yes. It does. It does. Because I think um, for too long, there was this there was this um, analogy that was drawn, mm. and it and it references this this uh, movie called As Good as It Gets. Right. Back in uh, well, I don't know when exactly that movie was released, but it's the scene between Jack Nicholson and and Greg Kinnear. Uh huh. 
And Greg Kinnear is trying to comfort Jack Nicholson because he's going through some emotional turmoil <laughs> and he's just, you know, ripping on his hair and Greg Kinnear is trying to give him words of comfort and Jack Nicholson just turns to him and he says, you know, I'm a very smart man. Uh-huh. Um, I know you're trying to help, but uh, what you're doing is that I'm, I'm drowning yep. and all you're doing is describing the water. <laughs> <laughs> And in some ways, that's yeah. what disclosure frameworks are. Right. Right. Because you are saying, okay, climate change is this big bad thing. This is all happening to me. How is it impacting my my business? How is right. it impacting things? Um, how am I impacting, you know, climate change, for example? But actually, what are you doing about doing, it? Doing, yeah. I You're mean, not... you can always talk about it, but hey, action speaks louder than words, Exactly. Right? Yeah. What, you know, how are you throwing the life black boy? How right. are you pulling them in? You know, how, what are the actions that you're undertaking? Right. To avoid your drowning situation. Exactly. And that's what transition plans are trying are to trying do. Are trying to do. Wow. Yes. Well, Sean, thank you so much for sharing that with us and such an insightful discussion. I mean, I think someone who definitely does not have a legal background hearing all of that, it's uh, shedding a new light to my perspective. So thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. And that was Sean Sung sharing his thoughts on how finance and climate correlate in the space from a legal perspective. This is Full Circle with Circle Capital. I'm Karina Basrewan, signing off. Catch you next time.